Hello, and welcome to episode 43 of the 40 Athletes Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason Hoser, along with my good friend, Jimmy Huber. Jimmy, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Jason. Hey, you know, today we have a ninja on the show, by the way. A ninja? Uh, hey, by the way, yeah. speaking of that, this morning, my son was like, hey, daddy, would you rather be a wizard or a ninja? And I was like, uh, I think I'd rather be a wizard because I can maybe vanish or I can put a spell on the ninja. But I mean, he's like, he says, no, you want to be a wizard ninja. So you hey, can combine the ninja on this morning. Well, there we go. Yeah. And she's a uh, chief civility officer, chief culture officer and a TEDx speaker. So Sajel Thacker is here today to talk to us about unconscious bias and the importance of the platinum rule instead of the golden rule. So we got a lot to get into today. So I want to bring her on right now. Sejo, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. Hello. Nice to see you both. So we would like to just go ahead and, and dive right into your story and uh, just tell us a little bit about like why you found uh, the work that you do as far as building culture, uncovering biasness, and and really trying to create an equal society. So important. I'm sorry. I've got some noise here. Hold on. Let me just shut this door. Honey. Okay. I'm, I'm so sorry. 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 There you go. Okay. The yeah. kids. The kid's being picked up by his father. Okay, there we go. Now I can focus. Okay. So sorry. Okay. Um, thank you again. I just want to say thank you for having me on your show here. Um, this, it's so important for me to talk about the topic that we're going to be talking about today. But also, I feel like when I share my story, it's crazy. I always get somebody that calls me afterwards or emails me and says, I'm glad you're talking about this because I learned from your story, right? And so thank you. Um, I... I I've gone through so much um, just this past year and a half on my own journey that has changed a lot of what I was doing prior to COVID. I think a lot of us, right, were impacted differently. But prior to COVID, um, you know, I, I grew up in the suburb of Chicago. So dealing with bias as the only Indian person in an all Italian neighborhood was something that started early on. Um, I also dealt with sort of living between two different cultures and, you know, having to navigate between the Indian culture and the American culture. And so that also created different dynamics. And so you'll see as, I, as we start talking more about my story, how those really play into sort of my need for social justice and for me to advocate for people who didn't have voices and maybe that didn't have the opportunities that I did, because I certainly have my own privileges, even though I've gone through my situations that we'll talk about. But I also recognize that being born in this country as an Indian has privileges as maybe being born as an Indian in India, right, or somewhere else. So using my privileges to do things like this, like the podcast, you know, I went to law school so that I can advocate, but then really everything I've done since then has been to talk about some of these issues because there's just a lack of awareness. There's education that's missing in our culture. And so it's not that somebody's necessarily a bad person. I approach it from the sense of how can we use situations like the conversation we're going to have today to open up some different perspectives or to help people see a different side, right? So that's really what kind of motivates me in the work that I'm doing. Well, when you, when you go back and you talk about like what hit me, I've watched some of your information and the story when you're in high school, like you're walking, I think it was out of class, right? And you go to your locker and somebody has a, a sign about go back home or something like that? Or what, what What was that about? Yeah. So that was part of the TEDx talk where I'm talking about my pain, um, the pain part of bias. So as I mentioned, um, I grew up in an all Italian neighborhood. So we were the only Indian family. We were different, right? We looked different. My parents literally got here from India. So they had the accent. They in, At home, it was like being back in India, right? Basically. And so so we stood out and we were different. And so we, we would get harassed, you know, name calling and things like that. And so the incident that you're referring to was one where I was now a little bit older in high school. And um, I came out from one of my classes. I was on my way to lunch and I came to my locker to just grab my books. And I noticed I noticed a, a note on my locker door that said, go back to your country. And, um, you know, it, it was like. I was at my tipping point at that point, at that, in that moment. Um, and mind you, I was born here. So, right. So this is my country. And I was born and raised here. Um, and so I, I say, I say that in the TEDx talk, cause I wanted to highlight that it doesn't matter whether I was born here or not. It still sucked. You know, it still hurt a lot 
to have to be, and I was made to feel like I didn't belong here from day one because of all the things I just described. So, but that incident was huge because that's one of the turning points of my journey where, you know, I think it was like the second or third time I probably, no, it was the third time I had gotten suspended from school. And, and so after that incident, what happened was I went to the uh, lunchroom and a girl started calling me names and I just snapped. Right. And so I, I lunged at her and then I was the only one that got suspended. Right. So I talk about some of these incidences that happened in school and that led up to that that incident, because I, I really made a decision, you know, at that moment that it's like, OK, I'm going down the wrong path. You know, if I continue, the rage was starting. I was getting really angry. I was fighting back. I was standing up for myself. It was the pain was really at that point, really heavy. Right. And and um, I also included that story because I wanted to highlight that whether, you know, if you're an immigrant who's who's comes here as a child or if you're born here to immigrant parents, that there is no real support for people like that. You know, so when I was growing up, when I was going through that, there was no support. There was nobody you can talk to about that. There's not somebody at school you can talk to about it. You know, again, they were treating me unfairly. I was the one getting suspended in trouble. There's nobody really at home. They don't understand. They're, they're living by the Indian traditions, the Indian religion, the Indian values, right? And and there's your friends, you know, I mean, I had some friends, but they're not really going to understand it either. So I think there needs to be more support for children in general, but also specifically for children of immigrants. That are when, you, when you say that, though, it makes me think, like, just going back to you as a high school, right, in that, in that, at that age, first of all, you felt like you weren't supported. You're isolated. They're telling you to go back home. Well, you're at your home, right? You're born there. What do you tell like the kids and people that are in schools or in places and they feel like they're not getting the support and they feel like they're different? What do you tell them? I think it's about giving them skills to understand, to recognize their own emotions and how do you respond to that? And how do you handle those situations? How do you communicate? How do you resolve conflict? How do people that are watching this happen as bystanders, what should they be doing, right? So it really needs to be ingrained in our education from day one, you know, and ingraining those kind of skills, which is not what I do as an adult, you know, talking to leaders, we need to start doing that there. That'll be one thing, right? But also I think that really is another reason why I did the TEDx talk was because we need to help people understand what bias is and how it works and how it's painful on all sides, right? And so once we start to recognize that, then we can do something about it. But we I mean, I didn't start learning about, I mean, you know, unconscious bias. I mean, I am an attorney. I went to four years of undergrad, three years of law school, practiced for a number of years right? Then when I finally decided to pursue my passion for training is when I finally started learning about how unconscious bias works and impacts us. Like that's not, that's not, that's not the way it should be. We should be learning about it when we're children so that we are already, we understand how it impacts us, right? But also children of immigrants also need skills on, you know, look, cultures are different. So cultural competence, you know, how do we communicate with people who are from different cultures? Because remember, the people that were bullying me and that were harassing me were Italian. So they were also of a different culture. Right. But so so teaching each other that we're going to have different cultures and that's OK. That just means that this person's different than you and being more accepting of that at a younger age versus what we're dealing with even now. Right. Look at what's going on in the world at this point. So, so there's a lot that can be done and I'm out there, I'm hoping to see that we could start doing it earlier, you know, so I've been doing more children's podcasts and I've been looking for opportunities where I can speak to children. I, I've been trying to put it on my LinkedIn as often like anybody knows of any opportunities, like, let me know, because I think we can. And I know that because I went through it, but also seeing my son go through it, you know, because he's multi, you know, he, his dad is Scottish and French Canadian. So he's got all of this going on. And so I wanted to make sure that he started understanding how to navigate through these situations early. So we, we've been having these conversations and even more last year, right, when we're going through all the civil rights movement stuff. Yeah. And, you know, in your TED Talk, you go into like the, the power, the pain, the power and the paradox of bias. Can you explain to us, like, what do you what do you mean by that? And then how can we you know, start to be more aware of it? ourselves in our own life. I think it starts with ourselves first before we can help others, in my opinion. 
Yeah, absolutely. No. So the so really what I wanted to do was really highlight bias from three different perspectives, right? To show, make the point that bias is not one dimensional, right? And it impacts all of us differently. And so the pain was when I was going through that harassment, that bullying, all the stuff that I was going through as the victim of bias, right? And what that made me feel like and how it impacted my life. And so I wanted to give everybody a sneak peek into the victim part of bias. When you're on the receiving end, what does that feel like? Then I talk about it from a different perspective, which is the paradox of bias, right? And so, you know, I've seen a lot of different ways that that's shown up in my life, but I boiled it down to two lessons that my dad would always tell me, you know, when I would be sucks when I would be struggling with what I was going on at school. He was really the only person I had. Um, and even with him, it was very, you know, not as deep as I probably would be with somebody that I can openly talk about, right? Because I didn't think he fully understood it, but he was the one that was there for me. And he gave me some really, really important lessons. And, um, you know, two lessons that I talk about in my talk is that he would always remind me in these situations. Now, remember, this is when I was a victim of bias, right? He would always remind me that Sejal, look, if this person is hurting you, then they probably themselves are hurting, right? Inside, they are also hurting inside. So it always like helped me see another side of bias, right? By telling me that. And then he would always say, look, you know, we're all capable of hurting other people and being hurtful at times. You know, whether we intend to harm somebody or not, we all can hurt other people with our behaviors, our actions. So that's really where I'm talking about the paradox of bias. And then my story is a little bit interesting in that is that, you know, if you know me and kind of just what I've shared with the both of you so far, and you've known that I've been, I'm a female, I'm a victim of bias, and I'm, I'm a social advocate, that you would think that after law school, I would go ahead and represent victims of discrimination or harassment. But that's where that twist was. I got, I actually went the other way, and I was now representing leaders and people who were accused of harassing and discrimination. So that's a major twist. And I got to see a lot doing that work as a litigator now representing people who are sitting there accused of being bullies and whatnot, right? So I got to see bias from a, a whole different perspective. So that's all paradox. And then the power of bias really talks about what I've learned about unconscious bias and how it really impacts all of us. And I think that there's just so much lack of awareness on this topic out there that people don't, like I said, I went all the way really late into my career until I learned about it, right? And and so I know that most people don't understand it unless you're in this field, you're, you're, you know, you're doing the diversity inclusion work or you're socially an advocate, then you might really get to know about this. In medicine, they start, they know about it, right? So that's where I learned about it was when I was working at UCSF and I started dealing with in an educational facility with medicine, that's where I started to learn about it. But really, in my opinion, everybody needs to learn about it. So that's why I did the TEDx talk is to kind of show those three different perspectives to really start raising awareness on how it's normal and how it's, like you said, Jason, starting with each one of us that we need to do the work internally to figure out what our own is so that we can make sure we minimize any harm that could result from it. So, so Joel, I, I do want to mention something on this, Jason. What amazed me about you is that you defended individuals that actually are accused of bias. When I was going through your material, like what? And so that that me, that that was amazing to me. Um, so a couple of things I want to dive into on that is one is like you talk about two paradoxes of biases and how to have compassion. I mean, how do you like you've been someone that's been kind of bullied or somebody that's been biased that in a negative way, and now you're having compassion for these individuals. How, how do you get that compassion for individuals like that? Yeah, and it has a lot to do with, you know, some of these qualities we're born with, right? And some of it come from our environment and our upbringing. Um, but for me, I, I made that decision after that incident happened, you know, that night, I I really was like, Sejal, you have a decision to make because you keep reacting to your anger and reacting to this rage that you're feeling. You're going to end up in jail. No question about it. Like it was going down that path. No question. Right. Um, I was losing control over my actions, my behavior. There were severe consequences that were happening. Right. And so for me, I decided that I wasn't going to be a victim. I wasn't going to let other people make me feel that way. And 
take away from who I really was as an individual. So I wasn't going to let them steal my identity and make me feel like I was any less. So I made that decision myself. But also being someone that's grown, grown up in two different cultures, you know, I always felt like the outsider. So I, I was able to see and understand different perspectives on both sides because I never really truly fit into either one, felt like I fit into either one, but I would have to fit into both. So getting really good at code switching, you know, to navigate through those different environments. Um, and so that gives you a lot of empathy and that gives you a lot of compassion because you could see both perspectives. And also, you know, talking about what you were saying was it was it caught you off guard to see me defending these people. And, and that also, you know, again, I, I thought it wasn't my intention to do that. Right. It sort of just kind of happened that way. And I was, as when I first started, I, I was thinking like, God, these people are going to be like total jerks and like, you know, bad people, like malicious people. And I realized that a lot of them just had these unconscious biases that nobody's ever called them out on. No one's ever educated them on. And it just continued and continued. And over time, now it looks like it's intentional discrimination. When in reality, if somebody would have stepped in years ago and said, hey, that's not OK for you to do that and that's not acceptable, then we could have prevented these. And it was just, again, it came back to like ignorance or lack of awareness. Now, that being said, there are a bunch of people that are malicious out there, right? So I'm not saying anybody gets away with anything, right? But I think a lot of it was that I, I truly have seen this in my career over and over again, where it's well-intentioned people, good people, you know, that are saying things, doing things, not knowing that it's harming somebody else, not understanding that, right? And so a lot of it is just learning that. And I do this work and I, I have my, I have tons of unconscious biases and I'm learning more every day, right? So it really is about doing the work. And as you do this work, as you do this work, what you see is that you start connecting with people that are different than you. Because the whole thing about bias is that it, interferes with your ability to connect with other people who are different than you. So as you start doing this work, you know, the demographics of people who are different than you is going to increase, right? And so your viewpoints, what you're exposed to is going to increase. And that itself is going to lend to building that empathy, compassion muscles as you're exposed to more, right? Well, and Sejal, you know, I wanted to know, like, how as a, as an adult can, what are a few ways that we can become more aware of our own unconscious biases that we can start doing that work at a deeper level to, you know, to, like you mentioned, maybe prevent or be more proactive in preventing some of those situations where we caught ourselves and maybe it wasn't unintentional, but we're like, oh, I just didn't know. And, and you know what I mean? Like, how do we become more aware of our biases? Yeah. And, and so there's, there's, this is, I'm glad you asked me this question because there are simple ways to start doing this work. Right. It's not like you have to like go through this mass certification or this course. Right. You could just start right now. As I'm telling you, you can start today. Right. So the first one is, is it's a test that was they call it. It's a test. I don't like calling it a test. I, I call it a tool, but it's called the implicit association test. Right. It was a test that was created by Harvard psychologists from Harvard University. University of Virginia, University of Washington. They all got together and they created this tool where it's broken out into different categories like race, religion, sexual orientation, gender. And there's like, I think 16 or 14 different kinds of categories last I checked. And so you don't have to do them all at once, you know, just say pick one race. And all it's telling you, you answer a bunch of questions, right? And it, it gives you an idea of what your natural preferences are. And we all have natural preferences. You know, if you're given two options, right, you're going to lean in one direction or the other. So that's, that's really what unconscious bias is at its very core, is another word for preference, natural preference, right? So it'll tell you what these tendencies are. That's such valuable information because then, especially when you're making like really important decisions in your life, you can be aware of your natural tendencies and counter that by saying, okay, I naturally lean in this direction. So knowing that, let me make, how do I stay objective? Make sure, you know, like, for example, if you're hiring someone, right, you have a natural tendency. So I'll just talk about myself, right? I was harassed by Italian people. So now let's say I was hiring somebody and I've got two candidates. One's Italian and one's not. 
I had to recognize that Sajal, you've got a negative bias against Italian people, no matter what you do, it's, it's always going to be there. Now I could take conscious steps to counter that, which is what I would do. Right. And I would say, knowing that, make sure you review their resume, make sure you review their skills, their abilities, and make sure that you're making the decision based on objective reasons, not your negative bias, which doesn't make me a bad person for having that negative bias. It happened because of what I went through. And that's the thing about bias. It's all based on what you've gone through in your life. So that's one, one simple way. It's an online tool free, right? That you can just start to learn about your preferences, like any self-awareness tool, right? You take that information and you use that to help benefit you. Another tool that you can use is, you know, the, the, another thing about unconscious bias is that it's unconscious to us. Right. But it comes out in our actions, our behaviors, our tone of our voice, whether we make eye contact with somebody. It comes out in all these other ways to everybody else around us. So ask somebody, ask somebody that you brutally, you know, that'll be brutally honest with you, that you trust, that truly cares about your well-being, you know, and and just ask them for feedback. Say, hey, when I make certain decisions, do you think there's any kind of biases that impact my decision making, and they'll they'll tell you because it, it's very it's it's easy to pick up on, right? Because we make we make little comments, we make little you know jokes, we make little statements about this stuff without even realizing that it could be harmful to somebody, right? Mm-hmm. And then the third way is really just start to be more observant of yourself. I mean, start to pay attention to your thoughts, like your especially because unconscious bias is all about speed. I mean, if you think about like, what is the difference between our conscious bias and our unconscious bias? It's really a a matter of speed, right? So what we're doing by being more observant of what we're, you know, oh, I saw this person. I don't know anything about them, but I'm making a snap judgment about them. Why? So being more observant about why am I making these snap judgments about other people, especially those that are different than us. And as you start paying more attention, what you're doing, you're slowing down your reaction time. And then now you can consciously choose wait, does that belief line up with that that unconscious belief that I just had? Does that line up with my conscious beliefs right now? And then what you realize is that most of the time they don't. They're actually very opposite of each other because our un- we grow and we evolve, right? But these unconscious biases are based on what we've gone through in our lives and they're lodged in there somewhere and they come out at certain points and sometimes never come out until they're put into a situation. Right. So three tools right there, you know, that you can start putting into place right now. And for each one of us, what are what are unconscious biases are going to be are going to be different because we've all gone through different things. So until you do, though, that first step. You can't really create, you know, very specific strategies to help you. And so what I did in my TEDx talk was I sort of went through that hack framework as something that we can all apply, generally speaking, until we do, and you know, until we start doing our own work and, and and understanding our own hidden biases. Well, I think as you talk about HAT, I think that's that acronym. I loved it because you talk about how to delay like judgments you have on people because we have those biases, right? Mm-hmm. And so it'd be great if you could walk people through like, and I love how you say like a hat, you know, it's a symbol of you wear it on top of your head where your brain, right? Your mind. Yeah. And it could be used as protecting your head. It could be yeah. used as being part of a team like you go through the and I thought it was a great analogy. Yeah. And how, how you went through it of how you can delay these biases. If you can walk people through that, that'd be great. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I've in my life, um, I've had to put into place my own strategies. Right. So that I could make sure. So as an attorney. Now I'm representing people that are accused of it. Of course, I'm going to have all kinds of my own biases that I had to deal with so that I can do a good job as an attorney, right? And so I started putting these practices into into place, not knowing and not knowing as much as I learned later on about unconscious bias, right? And so um, so the HAT acronym came about with all of my, my experiences. And as I thought back about how did I stay neutral how did I counter those spontaneous judgments I was having? So I came up with that HAT acronym and the H in HAT stands for hold off, right? So again, being more observant, as I was saying, when you meet somebody for the first time and you know scientifically that all these things are happening in our brain, rather than making those spontaneous judgments about people, really hold off. 
and suspend your judgment, right? And really ask yourselves, wait a second, are there factual reasons for why I'm feeling this way? Or is this just my subjective perception based on something that I've gone through in my life, right? So holding off is creating that pause to slow down your thinking process and your reaction process. And then, then the A is for ask why, you know, to really kind of encourage people to really dig deeper into these judgments that they're having or maybe making about somebody. Because, we, you know, stereotypes, some of these stereotypes are so deeply ingrained in our culture that we don't even realize it's a stereotype. Like it's just become a normal part of our being, right? So, so asking why and going deeper to say, wait a second, why am I reacting this way? And again, going back to finding objective facts rather than reacting to your hidden biases. And then thinking about, you know, as you're suspending judgment, ask you're asking why, when you're having conversations with people, tapping into that empathy, tapping into that compassion and assuming that people have that positive intention, right? So that's all about when you start asking why and you start actually listening to somebody, you start to hear things from a different way then maybe if you just react to your judgment, right? So you're, you're really getting to know people by doing this. And then the T is for take action. And really that's where we're saying, take action in accordance to your conscious beliefs, what you believe right now, not because of something that's happened to you, because that has nothing to do with the situation here right now that I'm dealing with. And so I kind of just, uh, you know, encourage people to kind of move past the golden rule, right? Which is what we've all kind of grown up with, which is treat people in the way that you want to be treated. And I'm encouraging people, you know, let's look beyond that. Let's treat people in the way they want to be treated. And I think by taking that approach, you tie all of the hat framework together because now the only way you can treat somebody in the way they want to be treated is if you actually take the time to get to know them, to understand them, rather than just responding to these spontaneous judgments that we all make. Yeah, Sajil, you know, I, I know for me myself, what I've learned is like when I don't understand something, and this is initially like I tend to judge it, right? Like you, whenever you don't, it's, it's easier to judge it initially. But I think what you're asking people to do is build more curiosity. Mm -hmm. And so you know, like learning, like building other people's perspective, how do they want to be treated? So how do we, what are some maybe great questions we can ask other people to get to know them so we can understand how to treat other people the way they want to be treated and apply the platinum rule. Yeah. And there's no, there's no set list, right? All I will tell you is it depends on the person. It depends on how long you've known them, what your relationship with them is like. Right. I mean, I, I think here's where you have to really get used, get really good at emotional intelligence, right? Being able to recognize that, Hey, if I ask a question, whatever that question. So for example, somebody sees meets me, you know, they, I've, I've been asked this a lot. Like, where are you from? That doesn't bother me. When people ask me, where are you from? I think that's just a signal that they're getting to know me right now. But it's really about watching my reaction. So if you, so if you were to ask me that question, Jason, and you see that I got uncomfortable by that, or it's triggering me somehow where there's some negative reaction happening, you need to be self-aware to, of what's what's happening, what are my emotions, how am I reacting, and respond accordingly, right? So if you see me getting nervous when you ask me that question, then you might want to follow up and say, did, did, did asking you the question make you feel uncomfortable? And, and really follow up on it rather than just, where are you from, Sajel? Tell me where you're from. Like, I really want to know where you're from. I'd like to love, I want to know where you're from. You know, and it's so it becomes when it becomes when you don't pay attention. So if you were to ask me and I smile and I tell you, and we have a conversation, that's one thing. But I think we as a society in general have stopped paying attention to body language, to clues, to nonverbal communication. You know, like I heard that as an attorney over and over again. It would drive me nuts. I wish they would have just told me. You know, I heard that so many times. I wish they would have told me that I was making them feel bad or I was harassing them. And I was like, so, of course, I would take out my pen and I would write down, OK, no verbal communication. Right? And then the next like 50 questions are like about nonverbal communication, because believe me, when somebody is making you feel harassed, you're going to let them know one way or the other. It may not just be with your words, right? You're going to mm -hmm. stop making eye contact. You're going to start pulling out your cell phone, start texting. You know, you're going to 
you're going to let the person know. And so, yeah, so there's no set list. I, I, I really think you, and this is the point, you don't want to have a set list. You want to get to connect with people individually and, 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 and look at your situation with them and, and read their body language and know what's okay and make those calls and be more aware. Yeah. Well, I think that's good because, uh, you know, like a lot of times people think like, well, if they want to have a set list of like, I need to do this, this, and this, but what you're saying is like, Hey, just be present. Don't be distracted. And, and read their body language. You know, like, I think that's the key is it's harder for us to be present these days because of there's a lot more, you know, distractions online, you know, our phones, these things where we ask somebody a question and we maybe not even make eye contact with them now. Yeah. You know? So yeah. Um, that's, that's a great response there. Thank you, Sajel. Well, that's one thing I wanted to mention today is I, I've heard you say, and I've heard this before, like a first impression people make it within seven seconds, right? Make judgments about people. But what you said you kind of uh, elaborated on that and it spoke to me as that we make 11 judgments about that person within those seven seconds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how, how, how do we go about maybe not being so judgmental and, and meeting somebody in the first impressions for the first time? Exactly. Put on your hat. That's the whole point is that's what it's there. You're going to hold off knowing that you're going to make these judgments about them unconsciously. Okay. So let me, let me just expand on that. So this is why it's so important to, to wear your hat every day, right? Because we know neuroscience has come a long way, okay? And it tells us that within the first seven seconds of meeting somebody, we're going to make 11 judgments about that person. So unconsciously, you're not even aware of it, all this is going on. So unconsciously, you're looking at somebody and you're saying things like, well, and I talk about this in the TEDx talk, you know, wealth education, social status. So unconsciously, you're going to look at somebody and you're going to say where they, you know, how much money do you think they have? Where they go to school? What's their social? Unconsciously, you're going to make these assumptions. And then also unconsciously, you're going to associate those things like your age, race, your gender, right? So these are things that are getting, that are getting categorized, right? And it's, it's a natural way of how our brain works. It's actually a survival mechanism when you understand how that pattern recognition works, it's also there to protect you, right? When you get that feeling where you're uncomfortable, some all of a sudden you don't know where it's coming from. That's all these automatic characters, characterizations that are happening without you even knowing it. So you just know that you're gonna brain, your brain is going to do that. So by wearing your hat, you're going to slow down your reaction time, right? And you're going to say, I know that this is all happening. It's not that I'm a bad person. And that's why it's so important to understand. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person person. It's just how our wiring is set up, right? And so we're all different. And, and those judgments that we're going to make about people are also going to be very different, right? So I did this in one of my trainings the other day where I, I asked them all, a, you know, a, a, just a, a question. And I said, okay, I want you to just write down the answer. Don't say it out loud, just write down the answer. And then I did a poll and I said, do you think, like, how many of you think that we all answered in 50% said the same answer? As up to everybody else. And everybody was surprised that literally we had at least 25 different categories of answers, not just the two that we would have expected. You know, majority of people thought it was going to fall into one category. And I asked a question, you know, about, you know, if you saw, if you, if you got on the Zoom call and you heard somebody had a, an accent, would you have a reaction against that person? Would you say you have a negative reaction? Why? If you have a positive reaction, why? And we had 25 different types of answers, not just the yes, this, no, this. It was a lot of, yeah, I think, but they remind me of my cousin who lives back there, or they, I've got a sister-in-law that lives back there. And it was so eye-opening just to go through a simple exercise like that about how we all are exposed to so many different things and how that impacts a lot of the judgments that we're making about other people, right? So it was, it was really cool to kind of see people eyes open up that way. I, I want to, so kind of confession coming out is, uh, so my next door, next door neighbor, the couple's from India, right? Mm -hmm. And we formed a relationship with them. But initially when they came in, like I, I've not been around many Indian people, right? Mm -hmm. And so... And Jason and I have talked about this sometimes. Like I've been born and raised, and Jason a lot of times in in white Caucasian environments, right? So, and you get with a group of people, and there's comments that are made, right? And those individuals aren't there, um, and it, 
and you want to say something, but you maybe feel uncomfortable doing it. What strategies could you give to people of how to maybe communicate in a way like, hey, let's not do this. or let's think about this in a different way about these individuals. Great question. Um, this is really where the work is. This is the hard part. This is really where the tough. I think a lot of people struggle with this question. You know, how do I intervene? How do I use that moment as a learning moment, as a teaching opportunity without making the person feel shame or guilty or <clears throat> make them feel like they're a bad person or we're canceling them, right? And and the, the simple technique in those situations is, first of all, you need to decide, do I do it right here and right now? Do I do it in front of everybody else, right? Do I wait till the situation and, and have a one-on-one -on -one with the person? So that you have to kind of decide and, it, and that all depends on the dynamics. If it's people that you trust where you feel like you can have this type of conversation, it's gonna be well-received, then you just do it right in the moment. That's what we recommend if you can right? But if it's like a work meeting, right? And you're in front of everybody and, and the CEO says something that maybe could be potentially offensive, may not be appropriate, or, you know, you have to use your judgment, you know, and see what, what's the right place to do it. But you want to do it really pretty close to the incident where the memories are still fresh. So don't wait like a year to bring it up, right? Like the next day or next few hours, sometime soon. And, and, and really what you want to do is I say, this is what I call is the call in, not calling them out it's calling them in right and, and what you're doing is you're just highlighting for them the very specific behavior or comment or action that they took that may have been viewed as potentially offensive right or harmful so if somebody you know for example is interrupting the same person so your neighbors who are indian you, you're in a social gathering and you notice the one person is constantly interrupting one of the indian people there when they're speaking and you're finding that you know they're they're getting frustrated or it's visible and for whatever reason you're like i need to i need to let them know that this could be viewed as microaggressions towards these folks especially if it's not happening to anybody else besides just them right so then when you have the call in, you're literally just saying to that person, hey, I just, I noticed that you interrupted X or Y. I just didn't know if you were aware of that. And that's it. So you're just making them aware of their behavior. You're not putting any personal feelings like, guys, you're an a-hole. Like, why are you, you know, no, that's not going to work, right? Because that person, if they're, if it isn't, if it's stemming from their unconscious bias, remember, they don't even know it's happening. Hmm. Right. So it's not about making them feel bad. It's really about educating them and saying and putting them on, on notice. Right. Because now once they know they're responsible and accountable for their own behavior going forward. Now they can't say I didn't know. Right now. Now you've let them know. Now the next time you're together, you see that happening. There's a different problem. Right. And you got to address that again. But also, I think you have to remember that, look, some of these unconscious biases are so deeply ingrained in us, right? Where we've been doing the same thing for so long that it's not going to be something that happens overnight, right? We're not going to just change all our unconscious bias and figure out the strategies overnight. It's an ongoing process. And we're human beings. We're going to make mistakes, you know, and to, to remember, you know, like I, I you know, I, the example I share a lot on some of these podcasts that I've been doing is, I, my own, right? So, you know, you guys, it's a Midwest thing. I was born and raised in Chicago and we say you guys a lot, right? And it's been, I've been doing it for long, but I know a hundred reasons why I should not say that, especially if there's women in the audience, right? But just the other day I did a training and I said, at the end, I was like, okay, thank you, you guys. And I was like, oh, so I caught myself, right? And I was like, I'm sorry. It, it didn't mean, I mean, you all, right? And as long as you correct yourself and you apologize and you try not to do it, that's, that's really all we can try to do, right? And so there you How go. How do you do, Mr. Joel? When you yeah. said the one, you that one. say that you, you said the one where you say, I, I noticed that you interrupted, right? But we all have been alike. I know I've been in situations where the jokes are made, the racial jokes. Yes. The things that are said racially that are very negative. You're talking conscious bias. You're talking how do you, conscious bias. How do you approach bias. that? Yeah. So again, I would still use the same approach but if it's conscious bias, of course, it would be more escalated, right? So I would still want to put that person on notice, but now I might attach some consequences to it, right? To say, hey, 
you know, I know you were joking, but that's not really the kind of environment we want here. So please don't do that again. Right. So now you're going to attach some consequences to it because now this is this person should know and they shouldn't be doing that. Right. So if it's now if it's conscious bias, you need to deal with it differently. And I usually say attach those consequences where it's very clear what those consequences are. And then if it happens, then you have to follow through on those consequences, right? To make sure that, because you want to create a safe environment for those people, right? So that they feel comfortable coming back into those settings. So they need to know that action is going to be taken if you say you're going to do something, right? So they feel safe coming back into that environment. So, Very yeah, cool. so conscious behavior is different. I was talking more about microaggressions, which is what, unconscious. What would, you, what would you recommend? Like Jason and I have talked about, we've been raised up in environments where in, grandparents or great grand in homes where it's like you're watching TV and there's negative comments made about maybe an athlete of a certain race, right? Color, gender, whatever it is. And you get that where it becomes like a part of you, yeah, right? That becomes conditioned into you. Yes. Um, what are ways that parents can really be more vigilant on how they're raising their children to make sure that they're not developing these negative conditioning that they have these biases for people? Yeah. And, and, and this is where for the people that have dealt with that and we all have. So and that's the thing. It's about bias. It's in each and every one of our homes. It just looks different. Right. It's the same has the same harmful effects on certain people. It might be the people who are impacted are different. Right. So my parents came from India and I remember them making some racist comments about black people. Right. And I'm like, what do you wait a second? Right. That's because what they what they grew up with in India and in here, they came into a society where this was ingrained into what they were already coming into. So I had to work very intentionally to kind of break them or try to break them of that. But as far as parents, you know, this is something that I've made a huge part of my life. And my, and what I'm again out there talking about too, is exposing your children to differences, diversity, exposing them to more worldviews, using opportunities like to buy books that have different colored people, different diversity in there. I mean, I, when this whole thing started happening last year, the civil rights, black lives movement, you know, I pulled out some of my, my son's books and I just started having conversations about books and what was going on in the books. Right. So education becomes key. And we can't just rely on what's being taught at school. It's lacking in the educational system. So we really, as parents, have to be very intentional about exposing them to the different foods, different languages, different cultures, different people. And so if you're living in a neighborhood where there's no black people, you have to go and find those spaces where you can. And now with virtual, it's easier to do. Right. Get on a play date with a bunch of people and put some, you know, and just start developing those relationships earlier on if you're able to, right? But if you're not able to, there are things that you could just do within, in your home, like what movies you watch, right? Start exposing them to different movies, different things on culture that you can watch, different languages, right? So there's absolutely things we can do. And I also think it's also about having more conversations with children about what they're doing when they're at school and the interactions that they're having. And so if, if somebody comes, you know, I always ask my son, like, so how, you know, anything, did anybody say anything that was made you feel really good today? You know, and he would tell me, did anybody say anything that made you feel bad? And having these conversations where you're really creating space so that they can open up about them. And even one other thing I did this year, because this kids went through so much this year, where I got him, we call it a feelings coach, you know, a child therapist that he can talk to once at the beginning, he was going like once every couple of weeks. And now he's going once every month where he just has an outlet. Somebody aside from his parents, even though we tell him he can come talk to us, just somebody outside of the house that he feels safe with, that he can talk to. And he said it really helped him. Right. So we have to just get more creative, just like we're doing in the workplace. Same thing at home. Right. Now, let me let me flip the quarter on this. I want to flip it over. You also say besides that, how do you protect your child? from biases that they might incur? Yeah, great question. I think the way that you protect your children is by helping them understand and process their own feelings and what they're going through and how they can cope better with the pain of what that feels like. Now, if it's a bullying situation at school, obviously steps need to be taken, right? You get the appropriate people involved. You don't just stand by and watch it, right? Um, but, you know, 
I remember when I was going through it, I definitely felt like I wasn't supported as I was going through it. Aside from my father, you know, who would have these conversations with me, you need to do more. There needs to be more of a comprehensive plan to protect your children. It's not just you and yourself, again, bringing in outside resources if that's necessary. Again, it's going to depend on the situation too, but building their self-confidence, right? So this summer, for example, last year, my son had one kid that he felt was, you know, he, he said was bullying him, but I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to characterize the other kid as a bully. Maybe he wasn't being nice to him or being kind to him, but it was an issue for him, right? So we'd had several conversations. I talked to the teacher about it. Steps had been taken. But I knew it was still something that he was having anxiety over in going back to school. So I signed him up for karate classes, right? So he starts going to karate. And guess what? That built up his confidence. And, and literally in two months, he was like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not afraid about this anymore. I, I'm, I feel confident. So recognizing that there was some vulnerabilities and what he was feeling and what can I do to support him? Um, and, and just trying to be creative again, it's just being creative and every child is different too. So I hate giving parental advice because everybody's kids are different and what might work for mine may not work for yours. So take that, take all of that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Well, say Joe, you know, we always finish the show too, with the four questions with 40 athletes. Now, um, these are sports themes, but they can apply in kind of any, any way of life though. So what we don't know is like, number one. Uh, what's the best life lesson that sports has taught you either for yourself, your children, or, or your child, whoever you've been around? I would say um, I played basketball for a little bit when I was growing up. And what it taught me was really being able to make real-time decisions, like on the spot, being able to recognize, be aware of your own emotions and everyone else around you and make a quick decision and being able to trust each other right? That everybody is going to do their part and, and having that trust. Um, so I would say, yeah, this, the, the lesson for me is recognizing that when you're working with other people, you have to be aware of what, where they are, what their motivation, what their skill is, and, and then trust them and meet them there. Right. Yeah. That's a teamwork makes the dream work. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number two, if you could spend somebody uh, within sports that you admire, either passed away or alive, who would you pick and why would you pick them? Yeah, this is an easy one for me. It would be Michael Jordan, for sure. Um, I'm from Chicago. Chicago, right? yeah. Absolutely. I was there yeah. for the sixth NBA champion. You know, we, we were there when he was like, the, what was it, MVP for like five or six times, whatever that was. So we were there. Um, I would say for him, you know, uh, I watched, have you seen that, um, what was his documentary? The, the Last Dance. Oh, The Last Dance, yeah. Yeah, I watched that a few months ago and I really love, I just love him all, all around. I mean, to me, he is what I, when I think of like an inspiring leader, he's the person that comes to mind, right? Like he started off as like this, I could do it all by myself and I can own the world. And he pretty much almost did, right? But then by the time he got done, as any of us, as uh, we're on our own leadership journeys, right? Now he realizes that I got to rely on other people and, and see the skills. And so he's just my idol. Like, I think he's just amazing. And I know there's, people that have negative things, negative things that they say about him. But for me, I'm always going to look at him as like that, that one picture, you know, where he takes that flying shot. (laughs) That's what I think of when I think of him. Well, uh, let me ask this. What is the best advice you've ever received from a coach in your life? I I would say it's probably just live your passion, you know, um, live your, actually, I'm gonna take that back. I I think I'm going to go with a a different one. Um, I think for me is the, the ability, you know, to take whatever, if anything, something negative is happening to you. I remember my dad saying this a lot to me too, that find what it is in that, that ignites you to move you forward, right? That propels you forward. And so, cause there's always going to be crap that's going to be coming at us and things are going to be happening to us. And, and so I'm always kind of like, okay, how can I take this and, and use this to light something inside of me to drive me forward and get out of the situation. Right. So I think that would be the advice that I would with. I love that. And then uh, what if you were hiring somebody or you're a coach of a team and you're bringing somebody on the team and you had only one life skill or character trait that they could have, what would it be? Yeah. So de- I would say determination. Right. Um, again, going back to what I just said, I think that we're going to always have things that are going to happen and you just need to be determined and have the resilience to just kind of keep moving forward one one day at a time. And that's what you've shown throughout your life. I mean, especially going back to high school when that story is like, 
resilient. And and to me, what I want to co- just comment on and, and commend you for is like the compassion you have and how you took that and not like how people could get so angry and bitter, but it made you better. Not only you better, but she made other people better through it as well. Thank you. Yeah, it wasn't always easy. <laughs> there were some parts where, you know, um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's, and that's, that's the reason why I think my story resonates with people. Um, but I, I believe that we can all do that. You know, I really do. I think we can all take that and, and, and have in whatever way that looks like. And I, I appreciate the both of you for inviting me here to share so that hopefully it encourages and inspires other people to kind of own their story and, and realize that it's going to be okay. Right. Just keep going forward. It, it'll all work out. Well, say Julio, thank you again for joining us today. Uh, it's been great having you. I've learned a ton in the last hour or so. Um, how can people learn more about you? How can they connect with you? Uh, where can they find you? So I'm on LinkedIn. Um, that's the, basically the only social media platform I'm on. I just started Instagram just actually this week, but LinkedIn would be the place. And then Train Extra, my website, if you're interested in what kind of workshops I do, what kind of trainings I do, you could just go to my website and you know, don't hesitate to reach out if there's anything I can do to support anybody either. I'm, if, as you know, Jason, I'm always posting articles on leadership and culture and bias that I think are helpful. So if anybody needs any kind of specific, like, where do I go for a resource? Like reach out to me. I'm happy to assist and provide resources. Yeah. And, and the things that you post are, are insightful, they're quick and they're easy to implement. So again, you know, thank you for, for the stuff that you put on that's easily accessible for everybody, Sajel. Uh, well, Sajel, again, thanks for joining us today. And uh, we look forward to uh, talking with you again soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, Sajel. Well, Jim, you know, about 160,000 kids stayed home from school on a daily basis from a bullying situation like what Sajel went through. And, you know, the great thing is we can help equip kids to help them understand how to handle these bullying situations where they can stay at school and feel confident. Um, So, Jimmy, you know, with our 40 Ethics program, where can we learn more about it and how can we teach them the life skills that are going to help them in those situations. Well, individuals can go to 40athletes.com and then we have programs on there that they can purchase to walk their kids through life skills training. Um, and also, you know, if it's a sports program or an organization, they could always contact us and we can walk through how we can implement it and kind of, uh, you know, partner up with them to implement life skills and help their kids in the program. And we've also included the link up for the discovery call. So if you want to learn more about it, you can click on the link discovery call find a time to meet with us and uh, we can show you how to make your sports organization or school a much better, more compassionate uh, school and more equipped with life skills. So and Jimmy, Jay, I want to I thank you for today. Cause like I said, I, you know, when you, when you talk about just the bias and you go through, like we've talked, you and I've had conversations throughout our life, how we, we've become biased on things, right. Mm-hmm. And how we see things and just having such all, such all here in her story, and just ways that we can maybe take away biases we have and be more open to listen, not be so so much judging. Because I know I, I find myself judging at times, and I don't want to be that judge. I want to be more, more that compassionate person that's more inclusive. So this was an awesome conversation, and she shared a lot of great tips that not only going to help me, but help many other people. Yeah, Sajil is a pretty amazing person. So that's why I find it important to have other people on from different perspectives to help me lower my biases as well, Jimmy. Well, Well, thanks for doing that, Chase. Yeah, no problem. And uh, we'll see you next week on the uh, 40 Athletes Podcast.